Wow, I do love it when the presence of God takes a building like when the presence of God comes into a building like this and makes it a a dwelling place, makes it a meeting place between the people of God and uh, the very deep presence of all that He is. Isn't it wonderful? Um, well, I tell you, it's been such a joy just being uh, amongst you, and uh, I just want to thank uh, John and. Uh, the team for inviting me to be a part of what God's doing in your church. Um, just reading again a little bit earlier um, about the well that um, the Bible talks about that was opened by Isaac called Rehoboth, which means uh, a broad place and uh, it was opened and uh, the guy said this has become a broad place for us and we will now become fruitful. And I feel like God's brought you into a broad place. And uh, you're in a place where God is going to give you much influence in the city. And I believe God is going to begin to open up significant doors for you so that you will become very fruitful. This morning, as I was ministering, I I prophesied a little bit about this becoming a resource base that right at the foundation of this church is a church that's always been a resource. But God's going to begin to unlock an increased momentum and increased acceleration in your ability to resource uh, many different contexts in this nation and the nations. Uh, I really believe that uh, this church is coming into a season where there is going to be a gathering of apostolic gifts together. I believe there's going to be a resourcing of this church beyond this nation into many nations. And you're going to begin to see people even coming to be joined to you, even translocal ministries, even ministries of the prophet and evangelist who will come to you and say, we want to be a part of this. Okay, And I believe there's going to be an incredible flow from this place to really serve many nations. Your church will be known as a resource-sending church. Okay, that means you can't hold on tightly to anything or anyone. Okay, because God's really going to raise men and women up from this place and propel them uh, into many, many different places. It's almost like there's going to be a counterculture thing where people would want to come to Winchester to settle, where people would come to Winchester just to have a bit of security. God is going to cause people to come here and then be sent forth. Alright, there's going to be a real increase of that and uh, you can get ready because God's even going to begin to speak to some of you about where he's called you to, alright? And I believe in the sowing, in the sending, there is going to be an incredible releasing of favour for this city. I really do believe that you're on the edge and putting your feet into a new move of God. Alright, I believe that you're going to begin to see increased outbreaks of the Spirit in your meetings. You're going to begin to see increased miracles. You're going to begin to see an increased sense of the presence of God arresting uh, your meetings and invading and hijacking your meetings. I think that's really cool. Yes, Lord. And so I just really want to encourage you. There's going to be a real reshuffling. Okay? I believe God wants to begin to change some of the wineskin in this church. And 
where there's been specific structures that has even been there for years, God's going to begin to bring a rearrangement and a redefinition in order to position this church to be very, very fruitful and to be a well. I believe there's something of people coming to drink from the well of God's Spirit. In this, and it, you know, this church was birthed in, in a sense in the move of, a, of the Spirit. And I believe there's something in the DNA of this church that God wants to unlock again concerning the moving of the Spirit. And so you can really uh, get ready. I believe there's something of a, a, a breaking open even into the poor and the broken. I believe the Lord wants to really resource this church to the, the needy and to the broken and to those who have no justice. I, I even see uh, lawyers joining this church or being part of this church that will begin to defend and help shape issues of, of, of uh, legal matters for those who have no justice. And so I really just believe God wants to uh, really open up a new uh, sense of his presence, a new momentum a new definition. I almost feel in one sense that uh, whilst you're called Winchester Family Church, and that's uh, in one sense right, I believe there's something of a breaking open and an extension of the family. You know, sometimes kids have to leave the home to extend the family. And there's something of a, a breaking open in, in that it's going to begin to get really uh, messy, as it were. Okay, People are going to be coming and going, and you really to get ready for that, because this move of God that is going to brain is not going to be defined by the way we've done things in the past. There's an incredible history in this church and Phil God wants to say to you the history is all but a platform, a launch pad into this next season and uh, you're not to uh, be nostalgic but you to begin to look to that which is coming because he's going to break open significant gifts from this church. There's something of God wanting to highlight this church in terms of national significance, okay? And I believe it's almost like I can, uh, this is quite a weird one, but I can almost see you on TV, actually, as a church, like some kind of uh, presentation, some kind of uh, videoing of what God's doing in this church and in this part of the nation. And you have to really get ready, because he's going to begin to break open some things. I felt this morning, too, there was going to be a real sense of, evangelistic potency in this church, okay? I, I, I've just had an afternoon of Bear Grylls, believe it or not, watching it at Matt Vane's house. And uh, I, I, I just think, you know, events like that are, are going to be absolutely pivotal in what God's going to do in this church, but there's also going to be a sense of power evangelism. I really believe it's not just going to be about the latest personality, although that's a great tool. It's going to be about power evangelism. It's going to be a maxing out of every kind of possible way of throwing the net out. All right? And uh, God really wants to break open in that area. And then uh, just uh, this afternoon, as I was thinking about, um, between watching Bear Grylls and thinking about the meeting, uh, as I was thinking about the meeting, I felt there's going to be a real anointing coming upon your worship team. And I just, uh, John lent over to me that last song, which we just sang, was just amazing. Um, and uh, just said, oh, you know, one of ours wrote that. Um, I believe there's something of God wanting to highlight um, worship in this church. Um, I feel like uh, worship is going to 
characterize something. Lavish, radical worship. Worship that is full of creativity. Worship that uh, has an element of multimedia and art to it and dance. Worship that lifts the lid off that which is predictable and normal. And I feel like uh, God is going to begin to add some musicians who won't quite fit the um, nice mold. They're going to be very different, okay? And God's going to add them to your church almost like I see an influx of people from the arts and, and, and kind of media. I was prophesying over a young lady this afternoon at the student work. She's involved in some kind of theatre. believe God wants to release more of that and there's going to be an incredible breaking out of that aspect of creativity and its prophetic potency in the church. And so this is going to be a real broad space and it's time for fruitfulness. Okay, it's almost like I was reminded of that scripture where uh, some of the, the school of the prophets uh, approach Elisha and say the, the situation of this city is pleasant. Okay, but the river is unfruitful. The land is unfruitful and the river, you can't drink the water from that. And uh, Elisha, I think he comes and he throws in some salt into the water and it says that the land became fruitful from that moment. And it's almost like the situation of Winchester is pleasant. It's a really nice place. I keep driving around saying, this is a nice place. But God wants to bring some fruitfulness to the land. God wants to cause the river to be sweet again. And the thing that Elisha does is he says, bring me a new bowl. And that speaks of structure, it speaks of shape, it speaks of the way things are. And God wants to give you a new bowl at Winchester. And he's going to fill it with salt that will cause the waters to be sweet, that will cause the land to be fruitful. And so... Don't, don't get uh, comfortable. Don't get um, um, predictable. God's going to begin to break in and break in in some pathways. I believe there's going to be some addition of some famous men who are going to get saved, famous men and women, just like David had his famous men as part of his army. I believe God's going to add some famous men uh, to this church and, and women to this church who will have influence in places that you and I possibly could never. Okay, and so God really wants to extend your vision. He wants to bring you into a broad place and he wants to cause you to be a people of incredible fruitfulness. I feel like... Um, there's almost like being a barrenness in the spirit. It's like you've pushed against some doors and it's like the doors have shut. And you say, well, let's do this. And it's like it's just not kind of, not taking off. And I believe the Lord's saying there's some doors that you're going to go and push again and they're going to open and there's actually going to be fruitfulness in this next season. And God's going to break something of a kind of spiritual uh, numbness, as it were. And he's going to bring real life in this next season. So I really want to encourage you as a church. God is going to do some wonderful things with you. And if you agree, you can shout amen, whoopee or clap. Oh, thanks. <laughs> wow. I tell you, it's so exciting. How many of you met with God this, this morning? Great numbers of you. Who wants to quickly share about something God did for them this morning? Great. Do you want to come up, sir? Yeah, come. I was one of the unlucky ones who had nowhere to live, but God's pulled me through that series, and I'm so proud 
and so grateful for all the two people that have helped me within the church and within the salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Amen. I just want to get one or two more testimonies of what God did for you, particularly this morning. Do you want to come, man? Just quickly tell us uh, what God's done for you this morning. Um, well, I haven't actually experienced that fantastic intensity of God for so many, so many years. And it was just so wonderful to feel that revival spirit in, you know. <laughs> so thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. The reason why I do testimonies, you can come. The reason why I do testimonies is because sometimes we look at people thinking, well, I don't know, what is going on with them? And actually God's doing a deep work. Do you want to come? Um, yeah, this morning I was really touched by Lavinia's word when it came. And it just put something really in my heart about fighting for one of my sons. <clears throat> we tend to think, I've got into the um, habit of uh, relying on God's sovereignty and not really being a warrior for him. And the devil fights for him like mad. And I just, to me, it just said to me, you've got to fight back. You've got to be a warrior because God is not pink and fluffy. He wants you to fight for him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, there was just such a wonderful hunger for God this morning. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, I, I get to travel to many churches on a Sunday morning. And it's not often that I see what I saw this morning in terms of just a hunger for the presence of God. I really want you to recognize that God is doing something in your midst. When you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, I want to just quickly share on, on prophecy in the local church. Um, I've got so much I could share on, and so I'm just going to kind of go where I feel and uh, hope that we get somewhere good. Is that all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, sorry, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, these hidden things, these things that have been prepared for our glory, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we 
have the mind of Christ. A few years ago, I was in an encounter, I went to a meeting that was, um, where there was a speaker by uh, the name of Heidi Baker. Some of you might have heard of her. Heidi Baker uh, and her husband Roland lead a ministry, a church planting ministry in Africa called Iris Ministries. Um, and since 1994, they've planted over 8,000 churches in sub-Sahara Africa. They've seen over 100 people raised from the dead. I'll leave that there for a little bit. Um, raised from the dead, and, and they've seen countless miracles and healings. And I mean, they're just an amazing couple. And uh, I was in this meeting, and to be honest, I, I'd been doing ministry. It was the, the year just slightly after I came in to be with, with Terry, and I was traveling for the first time in an extended way across the UK. It was absolutely amazing, yet thoroughly exhausting. And uh, I got to the place where I realized that I was empty and that I needed to be filled. Um, I was saying to someone, uh, I realized at times in my life I've become a bit of a professional prophesier. And it's easy to rely on the gift that God's given you and miss his anointing and heart for people. And uh, so in the midst of that, I realized I needed to go and be with Jesus so I thought I'd go to this meeting. I'd been longing to see this couple for a, a long time. And at the end, they made an altar call. To be honest, I was ready to go up for whatever. Even if they made an altar call for salvation, I would have been up there because I just wanted something from God. I was pretty desperate. And I went up to the front, and I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but it happened to me. I was standing there waiting for them to come and pray for me, and no one was coming. And I was just thinking, you know, I've been here for about 20 minutes now. And no one is coming. The, these guys take their time when they pray for people. There's no rush for them. The, Heidi Baker at one stage was laying on the floor with someone, just stroking her head, praying for her. I'm just thinking, get up off the floor and come pray for me. I want some of what you've got. And I was standing waiting and waiting. And I looked at my watch and it was kind of nearing about 20 past 10. And I thought, well, that's a good Christian time to go home and go to bed. So... I thought, I'll give it another few minutes. Anyway, within a minute, uh, they came and prayed for me. And uh, as they prayed for me, the power of God surged through my body in a way that I had not experienced before. And I fell out under the power of God, and I fell into what's called a trance. Now, trance is um, a word that we get from the Greek word ecstasis which means ecstasy, means to be caught up in God, okay, basically. And uh, it's a biblical word, not a New Age word, okay. Actually, you find this in the Bible, Peter fell into a trance, um, and there are numbers of other kinds of encounters like that. Basically, it's a moment where your natural uh, um, faculties are suspended as God catches you up in his presence. Um, and that's what happened to me. And it was, it was amazing. The power of God surged through my body through such a degree that my watch stopped at 21 minutes past 10 um, and lost all battery power as the presence of God went through my body. It short-circuited my watch. And uh, in this encounter, now I just want to say also that hearing the still small voice of God is not less important than having a trance. And having a trance is not more important than hearing the still small voice of God. The issue is not the type of revelation. The issue is getting revelation from God. All right? So you can't put a spiritual kind of pedigree or spiritual uh, barometer to the experiences you have because God chooses what he wants and how he wants to reveal himself to you. 
And uh, in that moment, God began to speak to me about the coming shape of the prophetic ministry. And what I saw was a huge eagle. It was, it was phenomenal because I, I could sense the presence of God uh, in such an intense way. It was almost like, although I didn't see God, I could see the form of his presence. That's the only way I can describe it. It was really intensifying and electrifying, really. At times, I was filled with incredible fear. At other times, I was filled with the most remarkable peace and joy. I don't know if you remember when Mary sees Jesus, and says she was full of fear and joy. It's this kind of mixed feeling, like I was afraid yet full of joy. Uh, and that's only way I can describe what was happening to me. And in that context, God began to speak to me very clearly. And I saw this huge eagle on a perch with a claw, with a chain to its claw. And uh, I, I thought to myself, if this eagle gets loose in this room, I am going to be in serious trouble. You know, I come from Africa. I've seen some fish eagles and I can see what they can do. Uh, they're scary creatures, and some of them are humongous. Um, the wingspan of an eagle is just amazing. And in that context, uh, God began to speak to me and said, this is what the prophetic ministry has been like in the church. It's simply being on a little perch for entertainment, for a nice word every now and then, for something to confirm our plans rather than to direct and shape our plans. And God began to speak to me in that context. And uh, I felt God was wanting to break the, the chain that had held the prophetic. You see, for the prophetic to operate properly, it needs to be able to fly. It needs to be able to see very clearly. And eagles see best when they're flying high. And I, I began to realize that in the shape of my prophetic ministry personally, that I was simply the kind of cherry on the top, not at the foundation of shaping a church. And I felt God wanting to bring a new sense of awe and glory to the prophetic ministry. That it wasn't simply about getting a nice word or a hand on your head, but it was something that actually required eldership weight to weigh it, because if it's from God, we then need to do something about it. It's not simply just a confirmatory word, but actually sometimes it brings some revelation that we actually have to position ourselves alongside so we can see God bring it to fulfillment. And God began to speak to me about him wanting to bring the glory of, of God back into the moving of his meetings. And I remember the scripture that says that his glory will be the covering. It was never meant to be man-made ministries that brought the covering. You see, apostles and prophets are at the foundation. They are the unseen bits. <laughs> it's not supposed to be top to bottom. It's bottom to top. And I felt God wanting to really break off the chain that held the prophetic ministry captive for a long time so that they can begin to fly. And I felt God say to me, I'm wanting to restore prophetic encounters and biblical experiences to the church. You see, for the longest time, we've been afraid to talk about angels. We've been afraid to talk about trances. We've been afraid to talk about encounters that sometimes seem otherworldly. The reason why the prophetic is otherworldly is because it, it comes from heaven's perspective. And obviously, I want to be very clear that the highest most beautiful, most purest form of prophecy is the Bible. 
And everything must always be submitted to that. I'm sure that I can take that as a, a given in this church. It is the most beautiful, most articulate, most wonderful form of prophecy that you'll ever read or hear spoken over your life. If you never heard another prophetic word from a prophetic person, you've got more than enough in his words. All right? But there's something of the encountering of the presence of God that he wants to restore again to the church. And in that context, God began to break me free from, uh, I'd say, the fear of man, because I was really afraid of how do I articulate, how do I, how do I say some of these things that, that I've encountered or that I believe God wants to bring the church into. And I believe God is restoring something of that in our day and in our time. And there's going to be an increase. The reason why the Bible warns us about false prophets is because there are going to be other real prophets that we need to actually respond to when they speak. And in these days, we cannot afford to simply rely on our own wisdom and understanding. And at every juncture in the church's life in the book of Acts, there was a change there was a momentum, there was an acceleration of the, of the purposes of God and an advancing of apostolic mission because of a prophetic encounter. Incidentally, most of those prophetic encounters did not happen to prophets. Sometimes we think that these encounters of enjoying the presence of God, of getting caught up in Him, of hearing His voice just for the special prophets. Actually, my job as a prophetic minister is not to prophesy. My job is to unlock the prophetic in your life. And when you look at every juncture, Peter falls into a trance, God speaks to him, an angel appears. I mean, it is just radical stuff. And the result is that we not only get to enjoy bacon and egg in the morning, but we get to be part of the church. The whole Gentile world was open because of someone who had a prophetic encounter. At one stage in Peter's ministry, I think it's Peter's ministry, yeah, he's, he's in prison and he goes and knocks on the prayer meeting door and Rhoda, the servant girl, comes down and hears Peter's voice, runs upstairs and says, Oh my word, Peter is outside. And I love the response of the prayer meeting. They go, oh, it's probably just his angel. I'm thinking, even if it is his angel, why didn't you let him in? And I just, it's incredible. The verse actually says they insisted it was only his angel. That's quite a phenomenal thought. In other words, they were so used to angelic activity. They were so expectant of the other world breaking in on this world. The realm of God, the domain of the kingdom breaking in on this world. That's quite a radical thought. How many of you would expect an angel to knock on your door? And so it's important that we understand God uses these moments to actually shape the church and propel the church in its apostolic mission. I love personal prophecy. I really do. I love bringing words over individuals, and we'll do that in a moment. But I tell you, there's something about church-shaping prophecy which moves the church into its apostolic and redemptive purpose in a particular area, in a particular region, so that you get to build with something. That's why we want the prophetic. That's why we take the prophetic seriously on a Sunday morning. In Matthew uh, chapter 
16, we see Peter having an incredible encounter with Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter responds in an incredible way. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, "Um, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that scripture. Now that's talking about revelation. The rock isn't Peter, like some of our, our Catholic brothers might believe. I don't believe it is Peter. I believe there's a powerful exchange that happens because as Peter gets a revelation of who Jesus is, he immediately, Jesus gives him a revelation of who he is. He says, you're a rock. I love that. But I don't believe it's actually Peter. I believe it's the rock of revelation of who Christ is, the anointed one. That's who we build the church on. Paul says there is no other foundation to be laid other than that which is Christ, which has already been established. And I believe that that foundation of Christ as the anointed one is not simply a static revelation. Okay? And we know that according to Scripture, all that we need concerning who Jesus has been revealed in Scripture in one sense. And I'm not talking about Uh, trying to add to the Bible, but in another sense that revelation is ongoing because he's a resurrected Lord still speaking to his church. Does that make sense? So it's it's an objective truth according to the scripture. It's the, the foundation of the anointed one has been laid, but it's continually revealing to us how we ought to build. And there's a specific blueprint, there's a specific shape that your church has that God wants to build with. This is specific redemptive purpose for your local church. That's why in the book of Revelation, the Father comes to specific churches to speak to them. Very differently, one from the other. There is a specific thing that God's called you to. And there's an ongoing sense of revelation. It's incredible. That revelation is the key that you need to have kingdom authority. Out of Revelation, he says, and I'll give you keys. I'll give you keys. And, and it's important that we understand. I was doing some work in France and I was ministering to a particular church. And, but I felt God speak to me about um, kids club, that God was going to do something very significant with their kids club and it would have a launch pad in terms of evangelism in their area. And uh, they believed God. They believed it was the word from God. So they began to invest money, time and effort into the kids club. And the result is that they began to have a voice into the Muslim uh, community and started seeing Muslim people getting saved and added to their church through healing, evangelism, and through kids' work. Why? Because it was a key of authority that opened up the community so the kingdom advancement could come. Does that make sense? It's important that we understand God has called each one of you to be a part of experiencing that. The Bible says in Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and it is the glory of kings to search a matter out. One of the high privileges that you and I have is that we, according to the scripture that we just read, get to search out the very depths of God's spirit. 
You see, I often read the scripture, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. And we end the scripture right there. The fulfillment is that in Christ, through the Spirit, we get to search out that which no eye has seen, that which no mind has conceived. And God wants to bring us into a place of radical revelation concerning our personal destiny and concerning our part to play in advancing His kingdom through the church. You see, it's a phenomenal thing that God in His wisdom pours out the Holy Spirit upon us because the Holy Spirit knows the very depths of the Father and who He is. And so the result is we now have access to search out the hidden mysteries of God. I loved what this dear lady just said. She placed a a sense of uh, over-emphasis on the sovereignty of God. And I, I often try and figure out, can you ever overemphasize the sovereignty of God? And I don't think you can, but I do think you can misunderstand the sovereignty of God in this, that you become passive rather than begin to partner with the all-powerful, all-knowing God. And you see, God has called you to search out in the place of intimacy, in the place of deep fellowship, the very depths of his heart. God has called you to be a people who position yourself for revelation, who enjoy the fact that you get to hear from heaven and you begin to change the earth. Your inheritance as a child of God is that there is no longer any mediator needed other than Christ. That there is no longer a minister, a person, a clergy member that you need to go to in order to get a prophetic word. I am under no pressure tonight to prophesy over anyone because you get to hear God for yourself. That's the glory of the new covenant. That's the beauty of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And for so long, what we've done in the prophetic ministry is we've simply put it on a perch and and kind of go, right, let's get the prophetic, okay. Rather than actually align ourselves to begin to search out the very depths of God's heart. What a privilege. It is for your glory It is for the goodness of God to come upon you that you get to search out all that he is. And the prophetic, friends, in terms of local church, is not simply about getting a goosebump because the air conditioning is cold. It's about getting revelation so you can build the church. It's about getting building blocks from the one who makes the church all that she is. It's about hearing from the resurrected Lord Jesus. And if we're to become mature in experiencing and living out in the prophetic, we need some men and women who are willing to posture themselves and position themselves for God's voice. It is so, so important. One of the things that I am realizing is actually we're called to be a people of the future. The reality is you and I are called to be an outpost of what heaven is going to look like to Winchester, to England. Heaven's going to look 
amazing. It's going to look outstanding. And you and I have the privilege of glimpsing into heaven so that we get to enjoy it here on earth. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about what I believe in terms of revelation. If we're to enjoy ourselves in receiving revelation from God, I believe it's important that we understand how revelation comes to us. Firstly, I believe that revelation is sovereignly initiated. The truth is, when you read the scriptures, it is because Jesus came close. It is because the Lord of glory was crucified. The connection to our open pathway into heaven, the connection to receiving the wisdom that is not from this age, but to receiving the hidden wisdom which is from God, is because of the cross. It's because God initiated relationships sovereignly. All revelation comes from Him, in the sense that if obviously if it's according to the Bible, you know what I, I mean in that sense. And it's important that we understand that revelation is not connected to the type or degree of revelation. You know, if an angel speaks to me, really that should be no different to when God's speaking to me in a still small voice. Because it's all supernatural. And sometimes, you know, one of the ways we can hold prophecy in, in contempt, as it were, is by becoming overly familiar with the way God speaks to us. We've got to be a people who understand that when God speaks to us, it is the high privilege of the children of God that the Father speaks. And so treat revelation wisely. Treat what he says to you carefully. Don't be flippant or familiar with it because it's sovereignly initiated. The second thing I want to say about receiving revelation from God, having an opportunity to search the things of God, to search out the very depths of God, is that the prophetic or revelation begins with the condition of your heart. You see, the Bible calls, uh, in, in, I think it's in um, Luke chapter 8, it talks about the kingdom being like a seed. In fact, it says the word of the kingdom is like a seed that falls into different types of ground. The condition of your heart will depend on the healed of fruitfulness concerning that which God speaks to you. And for some, it won't heal anything. So I have had the incredible opportunity of prophesying over numbers of people, and all they have is a book full of prophecies. Because they haven't allowed it to begin to mix with faith. They haven't allowed it to, uh, they haven't cultivated their heart in such a way as to receive the prophetic so that it begins to yield some fruitfulness. It's very important that we understand that the condition of our heart will determine the fruitfulness. One of the things that I find fascinating, and I just want to say this very, very quickly and, and very clearly, is after Peter receives this incredible revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, it says that he then tries to stop Jesus basically from going to the cross. He says, never, Lord. And Jesus says an incredible thing to him, and it's quite startling and sobering. He says, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not full of the things of God, but full of the things of man. He equates man's wisdom and man's thought processes as satanic. That's quite scary. In, a, in another place, Paul says to the Galatians, you're trying to earn this thing, you're trying to work this thing. He says, who has bewitched you? He connects it with witchcraft by you trying to do your own thing. 
Friends, we must be a people who are open on the Godward side, who cultivate the secret place of our heart so that our soil is ready to receive whatever he gives us. It's so important that we understand that. Um, The other way that you can train yourself to receive revelation, that you can begin to delve into the depths of God, is that you need to be a people who... um, who train, sorry, I'm just looking through my notes. Sorry, you need to be a people who train your senses to recognize the presence of God. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, I think it is, Jesus is in a meeting. There are loads of Pharisees around, and Luke records the meeting. There hasn't even been a miracle yet. There hasn't been any healings happening yet, but Luke records this. He says, the power of the Lord was present to heal. How did he know that God was ready to heal people. There'd been no miracles yet. There'd been no healings yet. In fact, I find it fascinating because very often people talk about um, intellectual people not being able to subjectively experience anything. Luke is a doctor, and he gives an orderly account, the Bible says, of what uh, was happening in the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Yet he records most of the experiential things that happen with the ministry of Jesus and then the ministry of the apostles. Intellect and the encountering of the presence of God are not at opposite polars. In fact, God wants to use both in order to discern his presence. Amen? It's so important that we realize, because sometimes I hear people saying, yeah, but I'm the intellectual type. I don't get to recognize. Well, actually, you can see what God's doing. You can feel what God's doing. You can taste what God's doing. You can encounter. The Bible says every aspect of your body is designed to recognize his presence. Jesus, when the power of God flowed for him to touch a woman, uh, who touched the hem of his garment, felt something go through him. God wants you to know that you can actually experience something of his presence when he speaks to you, when he encounters you. So I'm learning to recognize, for example, and I'm just going to go over to the wild side for a moment, if that's okay. For example, when I'm in a meeting, there are moments when my left hand will get extremely hot. I don't understand it, and I said, God, what is it about? And he said, well, I want to heal some people. Do I wait for my left hand to get hot to pray for the sick? Of course not. The Bible says I need to pray for the sick. But I do know that when that sense of his presence comes upon me, there seems to be more healings that happen in that context than any other context. Do I want to make a formula out of it? Should you make a formula out of it? No, because that's just the way God speaks to me. He might speak to you in a different way. There are times where I can walk into a building, I can smell something. A number of meetings uh, recently, people have begun to smell the fragrance of Jesus in the meetings, like this amazing perfume. Has anyone had that? You smell like an amazing perfume just coming to the room, a few of you. You just go, where's that smell coming from? Absolutely gorgeous. And I know the presence of God is coming, he wants to do something. So I'm learning to recognize what God wants to do. Sometimes... I'll see what I call a glory haze over someone. It's like this light haze over someone I need to prophesy over. It's not that I'm looking for it. I'm not kind of going, where's the glory haze? It's just like, it's one of the ways God's been going to speak to me. So I'm learning to recognize that. You need to learn how to recognize when God begins to bring revelation to you, when God begins to speak to you. 
you'll begin to understand that there are particular ways, particular patterns that the Holy Spirit loves to work with you. One of the things I find fascinating in the book of John, it talks about the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove and remaining on him. Now, I'm not quite sure if that dove went wherever he went, but it says it remained on him. And I, one of the things I know is that if I had a dove with me, I'd live aware of the presence of that dove. Now, whether or not Jesus had a physical dove with him wherever he went, I don't really know, but here's the point. Live aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Learn to recognize, just like Luke did, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Something happened. He felt something. He sensed something. He knew something was up. Learn to train your senses in order to recognize what God wants to do. Every part of you engages with Jesus. Lastly, I want to simply say this. Study and meditate on biblical experiences. The whole point, you know, one of the things I find fascinating is that Christians who have read the whole Bible a number of times can come up to me and say to me, that person is shaking. Where is that in the Bible? And I think to myself, there are numbers of places where people were trembling, where people were encountering the presence of God. And sometimes we kind of thread the Bible through our eyeballs and we don't actually let it penetrate our heart and we don't actually read it for what it is. I mean, what would it have looked like if we saw Ezekiel being lifted by the lock of his hair and put onto a mountain? Was that physical? Was it spiritual? I don't know. I'm still trying to find a good commentary on Ezekiel chapter 1 because there's so many things in there. It's just a wheel within a wheel, four faces. It's just unbelievable. I'm thinking... What was this guy smoking? Because it just sometimes seems slightly out there, doesn't it? You know, what, what was happening? How many of you want to see signs and wonders back in the church? In Isaiah chapter 21, it's just like Isaiah walked around naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a wonder. It in the Bible. Please don't do that. Here's the point. There's some things and experiences that happened in the Bible that sometimes we miss. What was it like for Moses in an inferior covenant to take 70 of his elders and have a meal with God on a mountain? That's what happened in the Bible. And so sometimes we can read these things and think, oh, that's a wonderful metaphor. No, some of these things were actually very... What was it like? And this is what I find fascinating. Isaiah seeing the Lord... You know, and, and a coal comes from Isaiah, and I find this fascinating. God disables, he burns his lips, the very thing that he'd need in order to prophesy. You know, was it physical? I don't know. But all I know is it seemed very real to these men who wrote what they were encountering. Study the Bible. Study and meditate on these encounters. Read stories about what God's done. Because I tell you what, it's very often out of the context of the word that you will prophesy with clearer authority. It's because everything gets filtered through the Bible. And so wonderful. One of the things I think that's very important to recognize, because I, I know some people who are into prophesying wrath, judgment, and hellfire upon the world. The New Testament looks to the fulfillment of Christ. God's wrath has been satisfied in Jesus. And therefore, I prophesy and need to see the best. I love, I love how the New Testament sees David. You know, David is a, a, an amazing man after God's own heart. He 
committed adultery, he killed people, and it was just horrible, some of the things he did. And the way God, or the way the Bible records him in the New Testament is that David fulfilled the purposes of God in his own generation and fell asleep. You know, the prophetic always sees the best. And it's important that we understand when we prophesy, we need to prophesy out of the place of his goodness and his love. And when you filter it through the word, when you filter your prophetic through what you see revealed in scripture, everything is tainted with the goodness of God. Now, I'm, I'm really up for some happy prophets. Because a lot of the prophets I meet just look jolly miserable. And it looked like they received the baptism of lemon juice, not the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we need to study and meditate on these biblical experiences because as we do, it moves us into a different place of enjoying Him. Now I just want to quickly touch on what I call the language of heaven. Is this helping you? Um, good. I want to touch on the language of heaven. And the first thing I simply want to say, that the language of heaven is, is uh, drenched in faith. Faith is the currency of intimacy. You see, the reason why I know God is good, the reason why I know God is wonderful, is because I've seen him be good to me and I put my trust in him. I have faith in a good God. And faith is one of the key, it's the bedrocks, because, you see, it's out of faith that everything flows. And one of the things we don't talk about much in the evangelical world is faith. We place a high emphasis on the correct understanding of the words, but still it doesn't produce powerful living. The reason is because the connector between receiving the word and doing the word is faith. Now, faith is not... I've met some young people I love. I love getting young, young people's camps. So when you get to talk you know, about prayer or believe in God, they kind of get into the zone. They kind of go glassy-eyed. And they kind of assume the position. And they start praying. And you, you just think anything's going to happen in the next moment. And you start seeing a vein pop out on their forehead. And it starts pulsating quite fast according to their heartbeat. And you think, if this guy goes on, this vein is going to pop because it gets so intense. I've got to believe God. I've got to really, really believe him hard. I've got to really trust him. Rather than realizing it's not how hard you believe, but in who you believe. See, I've got complete confidence that if I were to fall over right now with a sickness, my father who's in South Africa will get on the next plane and be at my bed as soon as possible. I have 100% confidence in that. He will beg, borrow, or possibly steal if he needs to in order to get here. Why? Because I know my dad. The currency of faith, or or, or, the, the currency of intimacy is established in faith. Because I believe him, because I've become intimate with him, because I know him, I can trust him. Does that make sense? It's not about how hard you believe. You know, we often talk about you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. The issue is not the size of your faith. The issue is, is it growing faith? The point of that parable is the mustard seed drops into the ground and becomes a big tree. I haven't seen many mustard seed faith move mountains. Have you? The point is, growing faith begins to give you confidence to believe in for more and more and more. 
There are moments where I would bring words of knowledge and no one would get healed in the meeting. I'd be thinking, Lord Jesus, what's going on? But I was learning to grow in faith. I was flexing my faith muscle. As I was stepping out in obedience to his voice, as I was stepping out in obedience to revelation, God was adding and God was moving. Faith is the currency of intimacy and it is the language of heaven. God loves people who walk in faith. Faith sets at its target the unseen realities of the kingdom. Faith is the evidence of that which is unseen. And the language of heaven can come in many different ways. I want to touch on just some of them very quickly. Through impressions, the still small voice of God. Through different voices from God. So for example, an audible voice. Anyone heard the audible voice of God? Wow, numbers of you. I, I've never heard the audible voice of God and I'm asking him to speak to me. I'm, I'm slightly nervous because if he goes, I might get very scared. But I'd love to hear his audible voice. I haven't heard his audible voice yet. Um, I'm trusting that he will speak to me like that. Audible voice is as clear as I'm speaking to you now. The internal audible voice. That's when God kind of cuts across your thoughts and your thinking with his voice and you know, this is not me, this is God. Some of you had that experience, right? Um, and then I've mentioned the still small voice of God. For me, I heard the internal audible voice of God at the age of 15 when he called me to be prophetic. And I knew God had spoken to me. And as I came out of my room, there was this old Scottish woman who was prophetic. She was in our lounge. She said, I had a dream about you last night. So 15 years old, I was like, <gasps> you know, one of those kind of crazy prophets. And... Uh, she said to me, I had a dream about you last night. The Lord's going to raise you up to be a prophet in these days. And I was like, wow, I was just talking to him about that. He was just talking to me about that. So those are some of those moments. Okay? I've already mentioned trances and ecstasies, a moment in God where you just get caught up. Do you know, one of my favorite times in God is when he just gets me blitzed and filled up with his spirit and I can't contain it. I mean, if, if I don't laugh, something's going to happen. It's like those kinds of moments. You know, in fact, one of the things I've realized is sometimes God does it to me in the most inconvenient times. Like a prayer and fasting, you kind of have 700 leaders, you know, pastors, they're heavyweights. Guys who lead churches, who do amazing things for God. And I'm thinking, Lord, give me a word. And he begins to make me or fill me up with his spirit. And I begin to laugh and I'm thinking... God, I want to try and keep it together. I want to look good. I want to, I want to make sure everything's okay. But in those moments that God begins to deal with some issues of pride in my heart, <laughs> none of you need to deal with that, of course. Um, and God just sets me free from some things. And you know, I find that the prophetic flows a bit easier once I've been caught up in Him like that. Okay. And very often it's in those contexts that God moves. I want to tell you just a quick story. I was in a particular meeting in the States and. Uh, during the whole week at this conference, there was a lady, a beautiful lady, who uh, was, was from Africa, and she was paralytic in God for the whole week, offensively so, uh, to the point where I said to my friend, she just needs to pull it together, what's wrong with her? I mean, you can't be that, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, like, all the time, like, you get there at nine o'clock, I'm a bit of an eager beaver, the meeting starts at ten, I'm there at nine, thinking, God's going to move, and she's on the floor, still going for it, and I'm thinking, man, that's just crazy. Anyway, at the end of the conference, they call her up to a stage, and she's this doctor who's been uh, working 
uh, she's a medical doctor who's been working with some NGOs, and she says, now I know some of you have been looking at me thinking, I should just pull it together. Of course, I'm going, sorry, Lord. She begins to talk about how God is giving her favor in 17 African nations who have given them their whole budget in order to roll out feeding schemes, HIV prevention schemes, and medical schemes. So they've given it to her. She's, a, she's, a, she's not anyone special. She's a nobody. God's orchestrated the whole thing. And she says, when I'm on the floor, I get policies from heaven about how to administrate what God's going to do. She got a call from Bono, from U2, who said, he said to her, what is it about you that all these presidents are giving you their money? She said, because I'm doing it the kingdom way. He said, well, you've got my whole budget, go for it. And she's been involved in helping make poverty history now. Why? Because she's open to receiving from God. Now, I tell you, I, I had to really repent afterwards because it really was quite offensive. I went up for prayer afterwards. As she came close to me, literally, without even touching me, I could feel her hand uh, across my chest and the power go and knocked me right out. It was just amazing. And, you know, the issue is not the manifestations. You know that. I often tell people, people often say to me, manifestations are not important. I disagree with that. Manifestations are important if God is doing them. All right? Otherwise, why would he do them? But the point is simply encounter him. Encounter him. Okay, so those are trances and ecstasies, visions. I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but just having an ability to see. Okay. One of the things I'm learning is that when you lean into God, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And sometimes for most of the Christian world, because we've not trained our senses to recognize when God is speaking, he can be speaking to us in many different ways and we miss out. And so when you lean into God, sometimes God will even use the ordinary to become extraordinary. Moses walking in a desert, he sees a burning bush. There is nothing extraordinary about a burning bush in the desert. It's a hot place. Okay? But he stops and something ordinary becomes extraordinary when he sees it's not being consumed. The woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she touches something very natural, something very ordinary, and in a moment it becomes a conduit for the favor of God on her life. Something extraordinary, something ordinary became extraordinary. And it's important, particularly in the area of visions, because I can guarantee you most of, this will, most of you will say this happens to you. You're in the height of worship and you get a picture that drops into your mind and you think, oh, that's just me, put it to the side. Ask God, what does this mean? What are you saying to me? How can I bring it as an application to this local church? All right, very important that you, you're open to that. And then, of course, angels, which I think we need a whole subject to talk on, and dreams, which, again, we need a whole, like we could do loads of, uh, of talking on that. One of the things I'm noticing that more and more as I've been helping people interpret dreams, it's often a key to unlock destiny. Um, and be open to that. Be open to that. One of the things I, I want to encourage this church in is this needs to be a culture where the supernatural is expected, welcomed, and cultivated. That's why local church prophecy is important. It's because it is supernatural. The Bible says that we need to uh, um, 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of sound mind. That scripture is not actually talking about a fear of the dark or a fear of spiders. It's talking about a fear of using the gift that God's given us. So the verses before Paul says, don't forget to fan into flame the gift that was given you through the land of my hands through the prophetic words. Fan into flame the gift that God's given you, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. And God wants to speak to you. God wants to unlock an ability for you to see and he wants you to be bold in stepping up. Be bold in expecting dreams for this church. Be bold. I, I'm really excited about people prophesying over one another, right? It's very important. And I'm going to step into some prophetic now uh, over individuals. But I want to say, let's believe God for church-shaping prophecy. Let's, let's create a culture and environment where we're asking God, what are you saying to my local church? The true test of a prophetic gift is not in how many air miles they accumulate through their travels. The true test of a prophetic gift is how they're given to a local church. And there is no gift, there is no calling that is too big for a local church. Because it all flows from there. And I want to encourage you, God wants to unlock something of the prophetic. God wants to give you um, an incredible um, ability to search out the very depths of his heart the very depths of, of all that he is. And I just want to end with, with this uh, very quickly. Um, how to grow in revelation. How to grow in searching out the depths of God. One of the things I do love about the scriptures, the last verse says, but we have the mind of Christ in, verse, in chapter 2. 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. The reason why we're all gifted to search out the depths of God, the reason why we all get to hear the language of heaven, is because together we discern the mind of Christ. Paul's writing to a local church, but we have the mind of Christ. I need you to help discern God's will in my life. We need each other, and collectively, as we hear from God, we discern what he wants to do with us. Very important to realize that. How do we grow in our revelation? Firstly, your gift will only go as far as your character allows. We need people who actually look, act, live, and talk like Jesus. Jesus is perfected theology. If you want to know what God thinks about a particular matter, you can look at almost any point in Jesus' life and you'll find out. We've got to become more like him. I know there's some people who like to make room for prophetic eccentricities and lack of character. I believe that's unbiblical. The Bible says you need to be like Jesus, and so therefore your character and your eccentricities need to mold around who Jesus is. Now I want, to know, I want you to know I'm, I know that I'm slightly eccentric. I do things very differently, and that's okay as long as it moves in accordance with who Jesus is. Hang out with prophetic people. Hang out with people who have a gift. Uh, the, the guy who's playing the piano, Tom, you know, God's just on you. I can just see God's going to use you in an increased way uh, in terms of prophetic songwriting. Stuff. Hang out with someone like that because you'll just start getting the prophetic flowing and revelation and ability to search out the very depths of God. Develop a passionate prayer life. The key to prophecy is discerning the heart of God. The key to discerning the heart of God is to find yourself in his presence, asking him to reveal it to you. 
One of the things that I love about the Old Testament picture of the priests, they would have 12 stones on a vest that they would carry over their heart. That as they went into the presence of God, the people of God were over their heart as they approached the presence of God. I think it's a beautiful picture of intercession. That you need to intercede for this church. I want to tell you, you will not criticize something that you're committed to. And you will not criticize something that you're praying for. Because you'll get God's heart. Very important that you develop a prayer life. Stay humble. One of the things I struggle with is when I get it right. When I get it wrong, I'm humble. When I get it right, I have to go home and get humble. Um, pride is one of the biggest things and presumption. Pride and presumption seem to go hand in hand. Because you think you've done well in one meeting, you think, oh, well, I'll just go for it the next time. Uh, be a people who stay humble. Be a people who walk in humility. Be a people who open to God's shape in you. Um, and then lastly, give yourself to the local church in a way that builds things up. You see, the point of searching out the depths of God, the point of searching out the very depths of his heart is that you get to live in a local church where you're a part of working that out. Under the old covenant, the prophet was given to a nation. And he could prophesy and then walk away. In the new covenant, the prophet is given to the church. And he is part of that church, and so therefore, he can't get rid of her. (laughs) And so, when I prophesy, I'm no longer going, you people must repent. I'm going, I feel the Lord would say to us that we need to come into a new, because I'm identifying that I'm part of who we are together. So when God speaks to me about us, he's speaking to me about me. Make sense? And even in your language, make sure that you use in your language like that in terms of how you identify with the church as to what God is saying. God wants to bring incredible revelation. You have the high privilege of searching out the depths of God's heart. A high privilege. Become a people who position yourself, who posture yourself in the way of God's favor, saying, I'm going to get into you and I'm going to get all I can from you. Amen.